Welcome to The Black Athlete, a podcast where we put the past into the present of black sports. I'm Lewis Moore. I'm Derek White. We're sports historians here to give you the historical context for contemporary black athletes. And welcome back to The Black Athlete. I'm Lewis Moore, author of I Fight for a Living and We Will Win the Day. You can also check out my Audible on The Black Athlete on Amazon. Uh, I'm Derek White, author of The Challenge of Blackness, as well as Blood, Sweat, and Tears, Jake Gaither, Florida A&M, and the History of Black College Football. Welcome back, Lou. Uh, it's great to be back. It's been about a month, but but we are back. I know. Uh, we were. I was in the dungeon. I'm not going to front. I had to go in the dungeon to prepare these classes to go online, which was uh, twice as much work as it normally is. Uh, and so I had to go underground for like two weeks or more to just like get them straight. Right. And I'm still underground and I'm, and I'm only popping my head up uh, for, for this very special episode. But yeah, like we went, not only did we go online, but we had to go four four, right? So yeah. without seeing the books, by the way, because apparently students didn't like online and now all of a sudden my classes are full. So that's weird how that works out. Uh, but yeah, so it's <laughs> like, like it's, it's really hard um, to go on it online. I've been prepping for almost two months and I'm still not there. And even if I did something for like three straight days, 24 hours, I probably wouldn't be finished. So I have one more lecture to record for now. Um, and then I just got to set up the modules, right? So I'm really trying to approach this the the, the correct way and do everything up front. Um, so so we'll see. So it's a lot of it's different, right? Because if I was teaching a normal class, I would you know I'd have my summer and then a couple of weeks before you know start getting into the syllabi. Um, doesn't mean I wasn't prepping. Like I do all my reading during the summer, but then start getting into the syllabi, figure things out. But with this, it's like man. I got to do all my prepping, right? Not not getting, I mean, not getting that check, uh, but I got to do all my my prepping up front, and then you got to manage it um, with your kids at home. So this is going to be a tough, tough, tough semester. Absolutely, and I think that one thing about the prepping that is really clear is that not only do you have to do it up front, but it requires you to really think like we always think about our assignments, like, you know, what assignments we're going to do. We're giving exams, we're giving papers, what those are going to do. We do that always, but like, uh, you have to enter them into, like for me, I had to put them into canvas for the whole semester. Um, and so I'm teaching this huge survey introductory class and I got 300 students, they got four sections. So I had to stagger the dates. And so just that, just that work alone was uh, a bit much, um, but it's starting to turn around and see the light. And uh, we're back, though, because uh, we've had the, uh, an ex- I won't say it exciting, a, a moment in the sports world, a historic moment in the sports world happening today, this afternoon, in fact. Um, for those who uh, are somehow uh, waking up from, you know, uh, Rip Van Winkle sleep or you know, they had just landed from the uh, International Space Station. Uh, 
<laughs> I thought you were going MLK yeah. uh, and sleep, like ripping uh, on Weekle stuff. Okay, that, that, that's where uh, we're going. Okay, never mind. Go. <laughs> Keep going. No, no. If, if you've been, somehow you've been under a rock for, I don't know, the last week or so, uh, we had this, again, another terrible tragedy in which the police um, shot a an unarmed African-American in, uh, in Wisconsin seven times in the back in front of his children, which is extremely terrible. Um, and heart wrenching, um, and, and again on caught on camera, uh, and then adding insult to in- injury, we had a uh, a seventeen year old white uh, teenager from Illinois coming to quote unquote protect businesses in uh, in Wisconsin, and he uh, uh, murdered and shot two two people uh, yesterday. Uh, and the thing that I think triggered a lot of um, anger and disbelief is that the same police force that shot Jacob Blake uh, seven times in the back literally drove past this, this white teenager with an AR-15 strapped around him uh, and looking for someone to arrest him after he had shot these two people. Uh, and so it's a tragic and, and, and I think devastating kind of moment for this community but also the national communities. We've been having this conversation since the summer uh, about, you know, police violence against black folks. And uh, this afternoon, the Milwaukee Bucks had had enough. Um, They refused to uh, take the court in their playoff game against the Orlando Magic, which was supposed to tip at 4 p.m. And uh, pretty quickly, this set a cascade of events across the sports world that uh, me and Lou, will, uh, as we discussed in prep, like had never seen before. And so the rest of the NBA slate was canceled uh, as o- uh, Oklahoma City was slated to play Houston uh, in the second game. And then the Lakers were playing Portland in the nightcap. Uh, the WNBA uh, announced that they were not going to play in a unified action supported by their players' union. Uh, we saw it uh, erupt in baseball where the Milwaukee Brewers uh, and the Cincinnati Reds decided that they weren't going to play, and then subsequently the Giants and Dodgers, I think, decided that they weren't going to play as well. Um, MLS soccer, um, Major League Soccer, decided that uh, that – uh, they had six games, I think, slated for tonight. Five of them uh, postponed, canceled, in part because of player organization and player protest. That the the black players and there's a, a new organization, the black Co- the black players coalition, on the MLS, um, uh, really rallied and organized uh, this as a protest. That they they call for to not play. That you know this again after they were in the bubble wearing Black Lives Matter T-shirts just over a month ago. Um, Am I missing something, Lou? No, no, no. I think um, one of the things we talked about, like, so I learned about this from from Derek, who who called me at like four or one, right? We, listeners, we we talk a lot, right? We talk a lot, and then he we had just talked, and then he called me again. So we've been talking about this the last couple of days. It's like turn on the TV, and then we watched it, and we've been talking about it for the last at least you know six hours. Um, you know, on and off about this. And, and one of the things I, I want to point out, what's we said, you know, this is really unprecedented in the sense, we'll talk about some NBA protests, but for the NBA for, for August, right? Like, like um, 
because most of our protests that have shut down, I was just thinking about this. Most of our protests that have shut down sports generally don't happen during the basketball season, except when we talked about uh, 92, the South Central Rebellion, right? Which which that is, right? That forces the the Lakers to to go play in Las Vegas. Uh, I believe they talk about that a little bit in, in Shut Up and Play where Brian, Byron Scott was like, man, I, could, I couldn't play, right? Like I was just off that night because, you know, Brian, Byron's from LA. Mm-hmm. But most of this is like baseball stuff, right? It, because it's the long, like in the 1960s, it's the long, hot summers, right? It's mm-hmm. Detroit. It's it's Philly in '64, right? It's '68, and what I come up with is those post MLK moments, right, where black players had to take the lead and say, "Whoa, whoa, you know, we're not we're not playing, right?" So if you you follow me on Twitter, I'd posted from the the Pirates black players say, "Yeah, we're not playing this game, this exhibition game against the Yankees, and we're not playing the the open the Caesar opening." Uh, on Monday, and then the MLB had to follow. Whereas the NBA, like, and I think if you talk to Bill Russell, he probably still regrets it, right? They actually play on that day um, of the assassination uh, because, you know, as they said, like, look, Bill Russell said, like, we didn't want to play, but, you know, fans were there. They had already paid, but we didn't feel like playing. Like, it was like one of those worst experiences. And that's where we're at. Like, it's, uh, when we talk about this kind of post-King, it, it snowballed to every league. It, you know, the professional soccer, which wasn't big, but still they canceled games. Hockey in America canceled games. Mm-hmm. Um, basketball postponed stuff. Baseball obviously postponed stuff. The only things that weren't postponed was OJ <laughs> and uh, and USC track. I, b- I believe they ran that weekend. Uh, they they faced Cal. Whereas, if 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 I recall correctly, the the Cal black athletes were like, "Nah, we're not gonna play." Whereas OJ and some of his teammates, black teammates, were like, "Yeah, we're gonna run." Yeah. Um, but this is that that uh, what's happening here, right? Where it starts with one, and then it moves out. But you had a different way, like my way of seeing is the MLK protests. But you have a different way of seeing how it spreads, right? Yeah, I actually I saw it like I mean I think the MLK is the is the right like the triggering of like a singular kind of event, um, but you know the MLK thing to me is somewhat different in the in this one sense right that MLK had such huge stature uh, in trying to you know promote social justice and change throughout the 1950s and 1960s that he had he had you know, his assassination was caused so much, um, you know, just kind of regret and anger and frustration and sadness across America, but especially across black America, but across America in general. Um, But I think this is different for me, at least, because, um, you know, this is not about, you know, the shooting in Wisconsin is not about them shooting a famous civil rights leader, even a local civil rights leader. It's just, you know, Jacob Blake is just the next name in this long list of names that we've been pouring out over the last five or six years since we've been in this kind of social media uh, organized protest to police brutality, right? Since we've come up with this phrase, Black Lives Matter. And and I think that it's different in that sense, for me at least, is that it's a cumulative effect as opposed to a singular event. Um, and 
you know, I think the players are frustrated. And I think what I'm seeing across the other leagues is it reminds me less of the MLK moment where everybody understood immediately what they were supposed to do. Right. Mm-hmm. And it reminds me more of the sit-in movement where students in active, you know, North Carolina at North Carolina A&T decide on February 1st that they're not going to have that they want service at the local Woolworths. They sit in, they're denied service. They see this as a successful protest. They come back the next day with student, them and students from Bennett College uh, as well. And then this sit in as a strategy, right, spreads throughout the South across black colleges within two weeks, right? You're talking about hundreds of black colleges, you know, dozens of campuses having uh, and communities having these sit-ins across the nation. And so it, that spreads. And I see this is in that in that vein in some ways, right? That it is a, um, that this strike, right? This decision to not play is an immediate reaction that is being picked up as the strategy of choice in this immediate moment. Right. right. And yeah. So right. no, go ahead. No. And I think the base, I think King, you see really quickly, the players don't want to play, but the leagues also recognize that they shouldn't play as well. So you get the leagues being able to get out in front of it a little bit right. in terms of, of saying, um, are they, are they going to just postpone games because of King's assassination? Right. Eventually they get there, right? Because the Dodgers like, nah, we're gonna play on the funeral and the black players like, yeah, yeah, that's not gonna happen. Um <laughs> so they kind of left it up to the teams. But you brought up one of the things since we're here and this is so unscripted, we bring up, you know, the students. I'm interested to see how this is gonna trickle down to college athletes, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because we've been like at the beginning of the summer, we talked about this in another pod, right? Where they're you know, you had athletes say, no, we're not going to play athletes at like Kansas State and Texas. And the way it works with these things is it tends to trickle down to the college level in this generation. Right. Mm-hmm. To be clear, in the 60s, it was generally the kids, lead, the students leading. Right. It's whether it's SNCC getting down and dirty in, in, the, in the South and, and, and pushing for radical change or it's the college athletes where you have more than 30 protests. Right. You don't get a lot of pro athletes boycotting and protest like you do or striking like you do with the college athletes in the 60s. So I'm really interested because now you have some guys like Clemson, right? Everyone else shut down the season, but you have Clemson who marched for Black Lives Matter, right? With Dabo. And now we have nothing changed, right? Nothing has changed. So it's going to be interesting and because they're in like, the middle, still in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah. We're in the middle of a pandemic, but we're also like, I mean, it's interesting. We're, we're at least a few weeks away I mean, I think some of the small schools are about 10 days away, but I think, you know, the major schools are, I know the SEC is probably mid-September at this point. Um, And and then there's also, you know, the colleges are also grappling with their own kind of dealing with COVID as 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 part of this, as a variable that like the NBA has managed to control, right? Like they have managed to control the COVID with the bubble. Uh, and these student athletes, and we're getting reports, me and Lou, if you follow us on Twitter, I've been, you know, I just report, I just retweet these numbers quite regularly when they come out of these right. schools, right? Like, uh, I mean, I read today, Oklahoma had a whole position group in COVID and right. LSU had a, like, and so what is it going to mean that these student athletes are going to, are they making the same kind of calculus? Like, look, I'm put, I'm risking, you know, 
this unknown disease, what the consequences of this unknown disease for this program. And at the same time, I can leave campus and get and get caught into this mess simply for being black in America. And I think that they are asking it's going to be interesting if they make those kinds of connections um, between their experience as college athletes uh, and what's happening in the in the professional rank and what's happening in communities across the country. Right. And not even leave campus. Right. They're, they're, these are PWIs. And and what we know from the black athlete protest in the 1960s is part of what fueled them is what went on at college campuses and how they're treated. And what we've seen come out recently this summer is that treatment never has gone away, right? Especially amongst the coaches. So so this is going to be really, really interesting with these college students who who just I think just in general, college students are fed up right now because they feel like the admin doesn't have their back, right? They brought them into this really unsafe space. Um, and, and they did what college students do. And now a great number of them are, um, you know, have, have COVID. Right. And, and, and so it's going to be, and a lot of the football players, right. And, and, and here, you know, they were supposed to be protected and, and they're not. And now, and this is what's so important about when we talk about these protests that grow from police violence, it's never the big names right it's 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 always some guy right it's if in watts it was you know some guy who got pulled over for a suspected dui in detroit it was people partying like at this local like uh, what they call it a blind pig right which is just this after hour joint right um and it's, it, you know what it, so it's always this kind of least of these characters that that sparks these movements and i think that's where it sits with these athletes right cuz it it can be you it might not be you because you're Fred Van Vliet. It might not be you because you're Giannis or George Hill, but it can be you. And it's happened to black athletes in the past. Like, so I have a story map on black athletes and police, police brutality. It's not every case that happened, but you know, it's got Jackie in there. It's got Bill Russell in there talking about being pulled over and, and having a gun pulled at him, mm-hmm. D Brown and stuff like that. And, and two players from the Milwaukee Bucks, right. Including Sterling Brown. So I think this is, why it resonates with the NBA and why it will resonate with college uh, athletes because I'm, I'm guarantee you it's happened to either them or someone they know in their community. And, you know, if LeBron's saying F it on Twitter, then that's going to trickle down rather quickly. Mm-hmm. I mean, and in the bubble, right. You're talking about Sterling Brown, but like uh, what's the guy for the buck uh, for the thunder who just came back after the New York, Police it broke his leg. Sabo? I, I thought he was on the Bucks again too. He might be on the Bucks too or something. Okay. I don't know. But yeah, like I've been watching a little bit of bubbles. Yeah. Yeah. So he he just came back. I do know that in 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 the bubble, and we got because he got this huge round of applause from his teammates, and it was a big kind of warm heartwarming story. But like you know, this is so you know, like even the the success NBA success doesn't protect you. Right. In this particular kind of moment. And I think that's I think that's the part. And then, uh, you know, I think that there's just a lot of frustration. You know, these guys are away from their families, you know, for at this point, like almost, you know, eight weeks. Um, You know, they're around each other. They're tired of the same food, like and all this stuff is happening in the communities and, and they were involved and interested and growing interested uh, in the summer as when it first took place. Right. And so they are, 
they're frustrated about like what the way what's the way forward i think that's an important right. piece right like right. what's the way forward right. right and and i would say too if we're talking history here like this idea of policing and creating a being able to talk policing and creating a movement we saw that in 67 68 with uh Lou Alcindor or uh or Kareem right who who when they when they met with the amateur athletes in 67 right uh Thanksgiving weekend to talk about potential boycott of the Olympics it was Kareem's speech mm-hmm. about police brutality in Harlem that got everybody to say yeah we're going to boycott this right it's so it's cuz it because he says it could have been me right here he is he's the star right he's 7 foot whatever he's a, he's a star and, and let's be clear the ending conversation you have about greatest basketball player of all time by the way has to include kareem but it's that idea that i'm a star and i could have been dead right there mm-hmm. right because of the way the police treat us um so i think that's 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 how it, these things happen right it's that realization that this happened in my community it could have could have happened to me and then as we you know like i said let's we talk all the time derek and i were talking about this yesterday on the phone like we knew it was going to happen because once van vliet brought that out right there's no reeling that back in you talk about protests because i think not only were the players upset about being there not upset but they miss their family right eight weeks like when i'm gone from my kids for three days I'm like man i really miss my son rapping alexander hamilton over and over again and his sister's yelling at him to stop right <laughs> so the players are there um at that at that moment right and and i think they're just caught in this this they're upset but then they're also i think you know they must have realized at some point you know, wearing the T-shirts, um, having Black Lives Matter on the on the court, um, having you know slogans on the jersey, right? You know, wasn't enough, right? It wasn't enough because that wore off after two or three games, right? And now everybody's focused on the playoffs, right? They're they're focused on Dame, they're focused on Donovan, and and they're focused on um, you know Jamal Murray putting up fifty. They're focused on Luca. Right? Yeah. So that's that was I think that was gone uh, once those guys started to perform. Yeah. People forgot about everything. Yeah. And I think the next logical step is, okay, what are you going to do? Not necessarily that they had to do something, but that's the next, I think that was the next logical step for them. Like they, they must've been feeling that pressure. Like we came here and then, like you said, you have Wisconsin, you have this young, this kid murdering people, right? Like let's, let's call it what it is. He's a, he's a domestic terrorist. Like he is, he is the, the guy waiting in the bushes to shoot down James Meredith in 1966. And what did that spark? Right? right. Like you're, I mean, you're the black power historian. You want to tell us what that, what happened after that? I mean, that's, that led to the actual cause, the, 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 the March against fear and Stokely Carmichael actually introducing the phrase black power into the, the kind of civil rights lexicon uh, in Greenwood, Mississippi in 1966. Right. So no, I think, I mean, I do think you're, I think you're on to, I think there's a, there, like, you know, I think there's just a lot of things happening and these dudes are, who are normally separated by space are also close to one another because they have texts, right? We, we talk about, we know, we talked a little bit about, um, 
that, you know, when the protests about the PAC-12 came out early this summer, one of the things that was that came emerged in the reporting is that students, you know, they these these student athletes had this massive group text and then they turned that into Zoom and then they turned that into organizing. Right. Like that was a way of working. Wow. I think yeah. in seeing some of these same things where like these guys are, you know, some of these dudes are on Twitter and they're like, oh, did you see this? And their teammates and their past. You know, LeBron sent it to this guy and they're talking about it via text message because they don't have nothing else to do. Right. They're not they're not on plane. They're not traveling. They they they've got a set schedule. Their families aren't there. Right. They can't they cannot play cornhole or fish anymore in Orlando. Right. Right. They're at that point of time. And so between recovery uh, from the games, which is like sitting in cold tub and getting treatment and all that kind of stuff. They're looking at their phones and they're seeing this and they're seeing, they're not only seeing the, the, the shooting of Jacob Blake, they're seeing this young teenager last night. They're seeing that I'm, I'm a hundred percent sure these guys saw the sheriff of, uh, uh, this town. What is it? Nosha? Is that how you say it? Uh, uh, uh Kenosha? Kenosha. Yeah. We should probably yeah. geography and uh, as history. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but this this town, the sheriff is like, well, if they hadn't been out past curfew, maybe they wouldn't have got shot. Like it was so crass. Yeah. Right? It was so yeah. Crass, right. It was never like this. Just like that. Say, like you're blaming the protesters for being out past curfew while not even acknowledging that this same kid who drove from Illinois is out past curfew because you guys are on, you know, because the police are on camera given these, 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 these militiamen who are right. white terrorists, um, you know, water and high fives and congratulating and right. them for being there. Right. And these, and these protesters who are, who are in pain because they are dealing with the same police force, which clearly got a racial problem, not just in the shooting of Jacob Blake, but the way they've handled the entire issue. Right tells me a lot of the the racial politics that's happening in uh in wisconsin um just as a as a note i, I tweeted this earlier today myself and i was like you know a couple of years ago the the two worst cities for black people in america were milwaukee and racine wisconsin right wow yeah you know what I'm saying? Like we're on button from right? right. Like this is this is and this is because they they have the 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 most segregated communities, the most amount of poverty, right? The violence that is associated from from lack of opportunities, both both in, internal violence but external violence, police brutality, police harassment, the, the school to prison pipeline is in full effect in these cities, right? Um and so so this is this this anger that is emerging from black communities in Wisconsin in particular, but nationally is, is this is something that they have, they've, that's been simmering for, for, for generations, but definitely for decades. And right, right. players are looking at this and they're, they're making these connections and they're sending these things to each other. And, you know, somebody sees something that they thought was interesting and passing it along to someone else. I like these internal things that we are only seeing the kind of the surface manifestation that's what's happening behind the scenes is, is also uh, fascinating and interesting. And I think it speaks to the fact that, that, that these guys are, you know, came in here to use their platform, to use their voice. Uh, and, um, and again, 
you know, why they're out here making, you know, playing comp- highly competitive basketball, this another case and another callousness and another demonstration that black lives for too many people and too many people in power don't matter. Right, right. And and here's the thing about Milwaukee. They got a new stadium, right? Our new arena, right? And so it's like, what? where do those dollars really need to go? But here's another comparison, right? And, and we talked about these guys being together to make change. One of the things, the difference between these generations, as you mentioned, like texting and Zooming, is in the 60s, they didn't have that, right? So it was really hard to get somebody, right? You either have to have their phone number since get to... uh you know, player personnel and and send letters or go to their college and send letters. But when we're talking about 68, when they're training, getting ready for the Olympics in Lake Tahoe, mm-hmm. that was one of the first times that all these guys had an opportunity to get together and decide what they were going to do, right? By that time, it was clear that they were going to the games, but now it's like, okay, now you bring the Southerners in, right? Now you bring the guy from the North, you got the guy from the West and they're all there and they all have this opportunity to talk, to share these stories. And I think that's when you start to get you know, these guys out there. If you see, if you see the highlights wearing the armbands or wearing black, you know, black, black socks and stuff like that, mm-hmm. that's because this is the first time they actually had an opportunity to really get on the same page, right? Okay. We're not going to, we're not going to boycott these games because, you know, look, we're not pros, right? Like this is this is our last shot at this, but we we will do something. We'll make a statement. We'll all make a statement in our own way. And I think that's what you get. It's just that, you know, they they all came together in the NBA this year and the WNBA. They made their statements and then they realized like, you know, t-shirts and slogans and and talking is not enough. But real quick on talking before we get to the history, one of my favorite parts of all this, what the WNBA and the NBA is doing, is is these players are forcing the media to have to deal with this. And if you look, the media has been so silent, right? <laughs> we just want to talk about the game. We just want to talk about analytics. We want to, let's talk about Luca's step back, which by the way is a great step back, right? Mm-hmm. But but these players right like, now, nah, we, we're going to talk about Breonna Taylor right now, right? Mm-hmm. And so now the media for the first time, really, the, they have to learn. You want to ask a question, you better be up to snuff for the first time on what is going on with black lives in America. Right. And it's 2020. This is the first time media has really had it. Now it's not to say all right, all right writers are like that, but but here we are in 2020, right? And and when you say no, I'm only gonna talk about Black Lives Matter, I'm only gonna talk about Breonna Taylor and 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 the police who need to be arrested. We you know that's what the media, you know, the media doesn't hadn't wanted that, and now they have to deal with it. And I think that's so powerful. Uh it's it's because now, again, like I said, they for the first time. You know, many of these guys have to learn and try to care about what's going on uh, with these guys when they're, you know, where they're from, these communities or what's happening when they're off the court. Um, if they weren't, you know, six foot seven and a three and D guy, mm. like what would be happening in their lives? So I think that's a powerful move by them. And I think it's interesting too, right? I think that like one of the things I noticed in the opening weeks when they first kind of got to the bubble, a lot of folks are you know the players themselves were talking about Brianna Taylor and 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 making you know making this at the forefront of what they wanted to discuss but old habits die hard right so the, as they played more and more games and the games became competitive and they started to matter a little bit and who was going to make the last couple of playoff spots you know it it was more and more about the an, uh, you know the analytics and the analysis of the game and what was happening and what's this all mean et cetera. 
And I think um, this is a, an opportunity that, that it showed the shallowness of the kind of corporate protest, the corporate back protests, right, that is happening in, um, you know, happening from the, you know, support from the NBA. And the players knew that this was a possibility. I mean, Kyrie Irvin made this point why he wasn't, you know, attempting to come back, right? Like he made this point about the right. bubble initially. Um, and I think the players are are in, in a crossroads about what they need to do. And I think the challenge for them, and I'm going to jump ahead because we were supposed to talk about the history, but I do want to jump ahead. The challenge for them to really <laughs> chart, yeah. to chart a path, right? To chart a path forward beyond, mm-hmm. uh, beyond voting, right? Like right. on the, I mean, voting is an important step and the end of the WNBA uh, statement said this today, like, you know, make sure you register to vote, make sure you fill out your census. Like, I think those are, those are very important and necessary steps, but they are not going to stop police brutality. Right. And, right. Right. And so the right. question becomes, how do we shift the conversation to holding folks accountable, right? And so this is where the conversation about defunding the police is a legitimate and an important conversation to be had because they're talking about withdrawing the, you know, you know, billion dollar budget in New York City or in Los Angeles, right? And redistributing that money right. into other areas like education or social services or things of that nature. Um, uh, we're talking about you know, addressing qualified immunity, right? Which allows for, um, you know, people who are the victims of police brutality to only, uh, to not be able to sue the actual individual, right? That they can sue the city, but they can't sue the individual person, right? And so their pensions are saved, right? So you you come out at the end and you're at the end of your career, you're making with overtime, $150,000, you shoot someone, that you get to retire and keep your pension, right? If your pension's on, if your whole livelihood is on the line for making, for for acting recklessly and shooting black or white people uh, without cause, right? Without provocation, right? Um, and you know that your entire retirement goes away, then you at least have some, like there's some economic stakes in the game. Um, there's also, you know, Supreme Court, right? That even in the cases that we saw with Michael Brown and others from from several years ago, that the initial defense and the defense that this officer in Wisconsin is going to say is because this is what he's coached by his rep is that he feared for his life that when this man refused to comply and went into his truck, I assumed the most violent thing possible was going to happen. Right. 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 Uh, I fear for my life. And that's going to be enough to justify. And the Supreme Court in Graham v. Connor has provided this framework since 1989. And I think that that's that that Graham v. Connor uh, framework is going to be employed here. And to be honest, I don't see any way, um, you know, any way that it's not going to work in this case because it's worked in all these other cases that have been just as horrific and on on tape uh, and. And, and don't leave much to doubt. Right, right. No. And one of the things we were talking about yesterday and today, even before the protests happened, right? We were like listeners, we were honestly having this conversation. Like, how, is, how does this work, right? How can, if the NBA players indeed boycott and this was all based or, or went on strike, this is all based on, you know, Fred Van Vliet and, and kind of what was coming out with Jalen Brown and the Boston Celtics. 
like what kind of change that they can make. And one of the things we talked about is that those real changes, right? Being able to put pressure on those local governments, right? And I know here in Grand Rapids, right, it's the um, it's the ward system and stuff like that. And, 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 you know, they, it's like six people have power of the purse here. Right. And there's mm-hmm. the city manager. And so when those protests happened, they had to have these meetings and people like, Whoa, 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 Whoa. But you know, in, in a large city, what, what can you actually do? And, and I think a couple of the things I you know, my recommendation would be one, you got to get to those local orgs who've been fighting this. And this is what's important for people to understand is fighting police brutality is not new. Mm. It's been going on since day one, since emancipation, right? And and so you will definitely have a local org who needs some help, who, who you know, they need the name of George Hill or Giannis to, to come help them out. But the other, and this is key, and, and I, I wrote about this a little bit when, we're talk, when I talked um, for the African-American um, Intellectual Historical Society and, and their blog about Bill Brunton, uh, the baseball player. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and baseball, we always talk about how baseball was integrated in 47. And then people are like, whoa, what about Pumpsy Green in 1959, right? So it takes 12 years between Jackie and Pumpsy Green. But it's still not integrated because it's segregated in the South, right? And they're bringing these black players to spring training. And it's somebody who who played for Milwaukee and then moves to Detroit. And in Milwaukee, they loved him, even though you know he had to live in the segregated neighborhood, right? Mm-hmm. It's the way he talked about race. But what these baseball, black baseball players realize is like, wait a minute. These owners have a lot of power. Mm. They have a lot of economic power in the South, right? Without the Yankees in St. Pete or the Tigers in St. Pete or wherever they train, right? Mm -hmm. St. Pete is losing a lot of business. So the owners need to step up and put pressure on these cities to end segregation. Mm-hmm. Right in these cities, and then finally you get integration in '63, where they're like, you know what, you know, some teams that wind up having to, be, you know, buy their own hotels. You know, Dodgers very early on by 1948 bought Dodger Town, but for so many people, that's not enough. Mm-hmm. You got to put pressure on these cities to change, and and I think that's what we see. I was just looking at Rachel Nichols' tweet. Right, Steve Ballmer said this is not okay, and Rachel Nichols is like, you got fifty billion dollars, yeah, right, right. He's got, he could put, you know, when you're a billionaire, you have power, right? right? You have power of the purse. You have power of people in, you know, you, I'm sure Steve Ballmer has a a lot of money, continues to have a lot of money because he probably pays people who are lobbying for him to do whatever he's got to do. Mm -hmm. So it's time for you to put that money into something else, right? It's time for you. Okay. You're going to say black lives matter. All right. What are we going to do about LA? You have a billion dollars. What are we going to do about defunding in LA? Right. What are we going to do about continuous police brutality in L.A.? Right. They'll just buy the forum. Right. Right. Use your money to 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 impact thing. And I think that's where the players have power. The other place they have power is their corporations. What's what's so interesting when I talk to people about, you know, what happened to the revolt of the black athlete and 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 part of it is they you know, the black athlete started to have this relationship instead of with their community with corporations. Right. And when they got involved, OJ or MJ, and I can't do this. Right. Because, you know, I hurt or, or because of, because of Nikes. And what we see in the last few years with LeBron, you know, Nike's got like those public enemy commercials or whatever LeBron has with Samsung. Mm-hmm. Um, they have that power, right. To make the corporation care about the community for the first time. We start to see this a little bit in June, 
And then we get distracted again, right? All these corporations give dollars. All right, so let's see, Nike, you put up 100, Jordan put up 100 million. Now, where is this money going to? What what else are you going to do? Are you just going to funnel money to grassroots organization or are you going to use your power as, you know, Jordan Corporation, Nike Corporation, Samsung, uh, whatever deals Gatorade, you know, these guys have, what kind of changes are you going to make? All right, Nike, I've seen your commercials. Now what? Right. Right. And I think that's where where they got to be with it. Sophisticated enough to pull, for instance, the, you know, the individual donor list to particular politicians. Right. So it's not that, you know, hey, Balmer, what are you doing? Like, I'm going to, you know, I'm LeBron or I'm Kawhi or whatever. And I'm like, all right, hey, man, let me pay somebody a thousand dollars to pull all these people who are in the upper man elites of the Clipper organization, uh, who they've been donating their money to. And what are the issues that they, they, right? Because this is, yeah. Right. So now it's like, oh, yeah, we believe in Black Lives Matter. But then I look on this sheet and you gave all this money to, you know, reelect the president or this against Prop 209. Right. Like there are all these kinds of things that politicians are clearly standing for. And I think the lines, I think that one of the things that this current administration has done is that he has made the lines between the parties especially for black folks, the vast majority of black folks, not all clearly because some support the president, uh, pretty stark. Herschel Walker. Right. <laughs> Herschel Walker. Um, you're, you're, uh, you're, uh, AG. Yeah. Uh, Daniel. No? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh God. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, and so the lines are stark. And so by, you know, in the same, and I, here's the way, and I think the WNBA and WNBA, NBA have shown us the way forward, right? Because they've said, look to our, their owner is like this conservative senator. And they're like, you should go vote for the other guy. Right, right, right. Like right. that, you know, so they're not just telling you to vote. They've given you a, like in these particular kind of contexts, the who to vote for, right? And it's a different conversation when LeBron's like, you know, I'm frustrated, but I'm also frustrated that, you know, and I'm I'm not saying that the buses have done this, but the buses have given, you know, five thousand dollars to this, right? So they keep telling me that they care about these things, but do they why do they do this? Because you you can't play right. both sides. The corporations have, you know, elites have been like, you know, and Trump said this himself before he was president. I gave money to both sides because he 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 didn't matter who won, he wanted to make sure that he had a right. favor. But now I think it matters in these contexts right. about these issues. And then these are the issues. And this is the same way that we praise conservative single vote, single issue voters. Right. Like they only compare. They only care about abortion. Right. And, and where do you stand on this issue? And if you don't stand on the right side of this issue, it don't matter anything else you say. And I think that, that like I think we are now trickling into to this moment where you know, some of these issues are going to be more salient than others. And I think that the, the athletes uh, in this NBA, these professional athletes have to get with people who can help shape their thinking beyond the simplistic frustration that they have, whether that simplistic frustration is, is manifested in like, you need to vote 
or you need to uh, protest or you need to march. Like we need to have, they've got resources that allow for a much more sophisticated attack against particular kinds of issues that are devastating the communities that they care about. Right, right. And then they have people who, a lot of these top guys have people who do that for them, right? There's a, there are uh, nonprofits who are, are people who work to help you with your nonprofit, you, you know, your giving and stuff like that. So, so hopefully they, they get to, to work in, in, in overtime to, to make these necessary changes. Because like I said before, it's been going on like since, since day one. And, and there's not a, a, a black athlete who, who's hasn't come across this, right? If you read some of those um, autobiographies from the sixties, like this is what they're talking about, right? Early on. And, and now we have an opportunity to, to, to do something. And I think it's going to be real key these next couple of days, what they decide to do. I think, I think they're going to play. I think they've, they've risked a lot. Uh, to be there in the bubble, I think they they miss their family. Uh, I think they will play. The somehow the owners will convince them that it's you know they got about a month left, month and a half left. Um, but I think for them to do that, they're going to need some concessions from the owners. So, um, right, they're going to need the owners to give um, give something, give some guarantees. Like I'm going okay, I'm gonna throw my weight around. I'm just no longer am I just gonna be satisfied with tweeting, mm-hmm. right? I support my players, but I'm I'm a you know, I'm you know, I I'm gonna put my billion somewhere, right? I'm a my influence that I have in Congress, I'm I'm gonna put it to work, right? This is my promise to you. This is my public promise to you. So I think that's 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 what has to happen from from these players because it's not necessarily you know george hill can't write policy right and and he's probably he's probably a brilliant guy um but i bet you his owner knows somebody who can right and and i bet you that that you know he could push the people in the way they need to go um so i think that's that's what they need to go i think that and i also think there has to be a sports sports conversation as well in this way and i say this a lot in the college level and I think this applies to a much more limited sense in the pro level because there's there's money being thrown around and it's hard for someone to, you tell someone to turn down a hundred million dollars. But I think players need to be much more uh, discerning about and and vocal about the reasons they choose not to go to certain places. Right. Right? And then, you know, and one of those reasons, you know, I think this was quite common when Donald Sterling was an owner for the Clippers, right. That people would be like, I'm not signing with the Clippers no matter what. Right. And part yeah. of the reason everybody right. was like, that was because Donald Sterling. And I think that now that he, he represented the boogeyman, right. The cheap owner, the person who was, you know, who we come to find out was hella racist. Um, um, but like, you know, some of these other, these other owners are probably super sophisticated in their approach. Right. And, and I right. think folks need to say, you know, need to be clear, right? And they're conflicted, right? I always thought I was conflicted when when LeBron went back to Cleveland, right? Um, you know, right. He, for him, I knew he was making a community community decision for the people who grew up in the neighborhoods that he grew up in, and I could really respect that. Um, but at the same time, like you've you've now empowered this dude who did not see you for what you were worth. <laughs> right, right, right. You know what I mean? Like you right. made money, this dude more money than he deserved uh, to make. Um, wow. And, yeah. And I think that that like, you know, I think that some of these decisions, 
some of the decision making that players make, you know, at some point should they have to ask themselves if they believe in these issues, then they have to ask them them questions about the politics of the of the people that they play for. And great. Right. Everybody can't play for right. the same two owners, but they get, they need to figure this out. And I think that that's, I, I was watching, you brought up Rachel Nichols. I was watching ESPN and they were saying that the Bucks owner is one of the more liberal owners in the thing. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays itself out in, in this particular case in Milwaukee. Um, Cause as Giannis is free agent, it's kind of looming over the franchise in some way. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh yeah. And who's, who's, wow. uh, Who's uh, uh, fiance, girlfriend, the mother of his child is California. Mother of his child for sure. Yeah, she's from Fresno and oh, there we yeah, go. she's from Fresno. Uh, she played. She played volleyball. Shout out to the Bulldogs. Shout out to okay. Fresno State. That's where my wife's from. Not the gangs, the Bulldogs, but Fresno State Bulldogs. Fresno State. Yeah. Uh, um, so yeah, no, I think it's an interesting thing. Do you want to you want to do this last? Let's do five minutes of this history that we did not do. In the- <laughs> we're really gonna do it. All right, all right, all right. So, no, so no. listeners, what we we're planning to do? Okay. Let's just give the. I'm just gonna give you guys the dates. I'm just gonna give you guys the dates. So, and you can follow us on Twitter. So I'm at Luma12, and he's at Blackstar1906. Um, and one of the things we talked about is how often this happens in the NBA. We said use the word unprecedented. Um, so there's what two main boycotts and a potential third one that happens. So 59 is the first one you get from the NBA and that's Elgin Baylor. So, so Elgin Baylor was with the Minneapolis Lakers at that time. Um, and what happens to put this in context during that season, the 58, 59 season is uh, Minneapolis is playing. Um, gosh, they're playing the home games in the South, right? Trying to drum up support and eventually they'll move to LA and in Charlotte that, that year in, 58 him and bill russell right are start you know else is a rookie but they're complaining about the discrimination they face and what comes out of that for the lakers is they'll say well we promise not to put you in this situation again and and when talking about hotels right and so in texas that that season they actually wind up staying in one integrated hotel right and texas is not really integrated that time and the other city i believe when they're at southern houston or dallas they had to stay the whole team has to stay at a black motel Mm-hmm. When they get to West Virginia in January, hey, the, the Lakers show up and the guy, the clerk's like, yeah, you guys can't come in, right? These three can't stay, right? There's three black players. And Elgin Bayer's like, no, nah, you know what? I'm not going to play this game, right? Like, if if I can't, you know, stay in dignity, you know, be, you know, if you can't respect me, right, then I'm not playing. I'm not entertaining you. And what comes out of that is the NBA promises to not, put black players in that situation, right? If we play in the South and NBA is still a growing league, mm-hmm. right? And the South likes basketball, then then we'll make sure there's no Jim Crow wherever we go. Fast forward to 1961 in Lexington, your neck of the woods. Yep. And then what happens? Uh, in Lexington, uh, the Celtics are playing an exhibition game against the St. Louis Hawks in Lexington, Kentucky uh, at Memorial Coliseum. They check into the Phoenix Hotel, uh, which had been hosting integrated basketball teams, which was a place for, uh, you know, place St. John's, I think, comes down a few years earlier, um, and they're allowed to stay in the Phoenix Hotel. But uh, when the Celtics arrive, several players, several black players are very hungry and tired. They go down to the coffee shop to get food, uh, and 
the waitress or waiter uh, says to them that they can't be served. And so they go upstairs and tell, wake up the other black players and like, is this true? Uh, and they say, yes. And so they are like, we're out. And they have had enough because they've been on this tour and they had been tired of of the kind of discrimination they had faced in these kind of exhibitions in these Southern towns, much like Elgin Baylor a few years earlier. Um, and so they they decide that they are not going to play, right? And so it's the first case where we see a team, right? And one of the things that comes out of it is that the Celtics, Red Auerbach, and I, and I give Red Auerbach credit because Red Auerbach at this point has like six black players on his team uh, in 19, right. and what is this, 1961. And- They're the first team to start five blacks, by the way, but go ahead, yeah. Yeah, and and he, he, says, to, he says to them, we're not playing any more games in the South, <laughs> Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like they had just announced that like, we're not we're not doing any of these exhibitions. Not doing it. Yeah. Just like none of that. Right. Um, and I think that's a really powerful statement from the most powerful franchise in NBA basketball. Right. And I think that's the important part of it. Right. That that, that it's just not from some team that's holding on. It's a it's it's a it's from the most powerful team. And what's the third example, Lou? 1964 NBA All-Star Game. Um, the players are about to come out and they've been trying to collect a bargain with, with the owners and the owners keep saying, yeah, 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 we'll do it, we'll do it, we'll do it. And they don't do it. And finally, led by the black players, they're like, nah. 10 minutes before the game, they, we're not coming out, right, unless we get guarantees about this pension plan, right? Um, so it's your Bill Russells, it's your Oscar Robertson, it's it's Elgin Baylor, of course, Jerry West and some other white white players, like just our white players are there. Mm-hmm. But it's really led by the black players who are like, we're we're tired of this. And they're able to actually we talk about being players again, being in the same spot, being able to talk. This is the first time, right? And mm-hmm. and while players are scared and the Lakers owner saying, Look, I'm gonna fire Jerry West, I'm gonna fire you, Elgin Baylor. What comes out of it is that all of them finally get a chance to talk and like, wait a minute. Yeah, we're tired of the owners doing this to us. Mm-hmm. So we want these changes now. And they wind up winning, right? They they threaten the strike. Um, and and eventually the owners cave in. Um, they get what what they want there. But it's but what comes out of all this with the, just the three examples we show here, but there's other examples in let's say football with with uh, all the black players of the Steelers and Ravens, um, th- not the Ravens, the Colts, Baltimore Colts threatened to boycott a game with Roanoke or the Raiders and the Jets and Mobile mm-hmm. or the, the 65 All-Stars, AFL All-Stars of New Orleans. There's always changes afterwards, whether we're talking about boycotts or we're talking about strikes, they work. Mm-hmm. in sports with the black athletes. We've talked about this a number of times in college sports and what comes out of that, getting black coaches or getting black studies on campus. We saw what happened in 2015 with Missouri when they f- threatened to boycott or strike a game. I believe that's that would be a boycott. Um, but, but the protests from black athletes have an impact, mm-hmm. right? Now, what we've seen is that outside of New Orleans, right, and that, that, you know, New Orleans has to promise, right, to end discrimination in their city or Jim Crow in their city to get a team. Most of these these protests are like singular focus, right? We're going to focus on the stadiums here or we're going to focus on campus. What's so different, right, or people use the word unprecedented about the NBA, it's so broad, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's I mean, it's a, a specific subject like police brutality, 
but it happens everywhere, right? And it's not like Jim Crow where, okay, we're going to wipe out this legislation, right? Yeah. This is something, but it's, but, you know, it's been around, like I've said this whole hour since, since day one. And this is, you know, finally you have athletes stepping in. It doesn't mean athletes never stepped in. You got Jackie Robinson telling Congress in 1949. Yeah, right, when he's in front of HUAC, like, look, you got to deal with police brutality. Mm-hmm. Here we are in 2020, athletes doing the same thing. And I think these NBA players, if done right, and this shouldn't be up to them, by the way, but they have the power and they know the powerful people to get things done. And it's going to be interesting in these next two two days, five days, what promises are made to them from the owners. And I and I hope that they they don't just simply take the promises from the owners, but they also uh, supply resources to community organizations who are constantly on the front lines fighting this. And I think to, to to wrap up really quick, I think the one thing that I've always appreciated about Cap's protest is that when he when he took his money and he gave that money to local organizations and that were doing the work on the ground. Uh, and I think that there's a certain sense of humility to say, look, I don't know what the best uh, solution is to this particular problem, but I trust that this organization and these people know better than I do. And my job is to provide resources for them to be successful. And he did that on the right. quiet. He didn't ask for a lot of credit. He didn't, you know, he wasn't bragging every week about how much he did. Like, I thought that was just a, that's a real sure sign. And I think this is an opportunity for that that the NBA players are are literally stuck in the middle, that they are the most, um, you know, in black communities, they represent the peak of resources for black organizations, right? There's no surprise that they have the ability to single-handedly fund, uh, you know, the next six months of activities for a number of organizations. Um, But at the same time, they're also very much connected to this leadership class, this this the of owners and 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 c suites and ceos and cefos who who really have the ability to press the kind of buttons to make certain policies go and i think that's an important piece um and i think that's a hard position to for us to put athletes in because as you pointed out just a second ago that this this issue of police brutality is a long standing one that black communities have been facing since emancipation and uh, it is one that has not slowed down in the, you know, 100 plus, 150 years since emancipation or so. And, and, and I think that's an important piece because, like, it's hard for us, it's hard for them to really wrap their hands around this complex issue. I think I said this to you today on the phone earlier. I said, you know, the problem with Catalan police brutality is that like there are 50 different state police offices. There's local police, there's sheriff, there's county police. In DC, there's a story I remember reading. They got like park police, they got Capitol police, they got DC, like all that in that little square space that we call Washington, DC. Right. Um, and, and, and so understanding how to tackle all these various, like we talk about this as this monolithic thing, but like, you know, there are going to be strategies that are going to be effective for affecting change at the at the state level of police or the county level that won't work at the at the you know that may not be as effective at the city level right like we have to figure out 
these nuances in the attack. Um, and that's not, and, and basketball players and athletes should not have to figure that out, but they do have the resources in many cases to help, help the organizations who are already working on these issues at multiple different levels. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. All right, Lou, we've been on, we're at, that's uh, it. No, that's it. That's it. That's it. It's we're not an hour. Yeah. That's all you guys get. All right. All All right. right. Peace. I'm out. All right. Peace.